Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors and over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. Today on Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. His brothers will become believers after the resurrection. His brother James will become a leader in the church in Jerusalem. He'll write the book of James in the New Testament. James will die a martyr. He'll be put to death by the high priest in Jerusalem. He's pushed off the tentacle of the temple and killed. His brother Jude uh, will write the book of Jude in the New Testament. Jude will also be martyred. He'll be crucified uh, for being a follower of Christ. But at this point, no one in Jesus' family is a believer. Jesus had more than just the skepticism of the religious leaders to deal with. His own family questioned his claims. Which makes sense to some degree. Siblings have a tendency towards jealousy and seeing the worst in each other at times. It's not surprising that they would doubt the claims of their brother who they watched grow up. As Pastor Dan will point out in today's message, it took Jesus' death and resurrection to solidify the faith of some of his brothers. But eventually, they took him at his word. Now, here's Pastor Dan in the book of John, chapter 7. For today's edition of Ring of Truth. John chapter 7, beginning with verse 1. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brothers, therefore, said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. Then Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. You go up to this feast. I am not yet going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. And when he had said these things to them, he remained in Galilee. But when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. And then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, where is he? And there was much complaining or murmuring among the people concerning him. Some said he is good. Others said, no, on the contrary, he deceives the people. However, no one spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. Now about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, how does this man 
no letters, having never studied. Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law, yet none of you keep the law? Why do you seek to kill me? And the people answered and said, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered and said to them, I do one work, and you all marvel. Moses, therefore, gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Now, some of them from Jerusalem said, Is this not he whom they seek to kill? But look, he speaks boldly, and they say nothing to him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is truly the Christ? However, we know where this man is from, but when the Christ comes, no one knows where he is from. Then Jesus cried out as he taught in the temple, saying, You both know me, and you know where I am from, and I have not come of myself. But he who sent me is true, whom you do not know, but I know him, for I am from him, and he sent me. Therefore they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. And many of the people believed in him and said, When the Christ comes, will he do more signs than these which this man has done? Then the Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things concerning him. The Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. Then Jesus said to them, I shall be with you a little while longer, and then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me and not find me, and where I am you cannot come. Then the Jews said among themselves, Where does he intend to go that we shall shall not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and to teach the Greeks? What is this thing that he said, you will seek me and not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? And on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Holy Spirit whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Therefore many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, Truly this is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Will the Christ come out of Galilee? Has not the Scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where David was? And so there was a division among the people because of him. Now some of them wanted to take him, but no one laid hands on him. Then the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees, who said to them, Why have you, why have you not brought him? The officers answered, No man ever spoke like this man. Then the Pharisees answered them, Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? 
But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. And Nicodemus, he who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? And they answered and said to him, Are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. And everyone went to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. So as you, as you can tell just from reading it, the, you know, the tension now is rising between Jesus and the religious leaders in Jerusalem. Uh, chapters 7 to 9, uh, in chapters 7 through 9, Jesus goes up to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. So that's our context here. It's the Feast of Tabernacles, and, and that's, that's important to understand the context. Uh, this will be the last Feast of Tabernacles that Jesus attends before his crucifixion, his resurrection, and his ascension back to heaven. Jesus, at this point, is only about six months away from the cross. Uh, and you might think, we're only in chapter 7. You know, I mean, how are we only six months to go? Well, in chapter 12, chapter 12 is when he makes his triumphal entry. And, and that's the beginning of the Passion Week, his last week before he's crucified and resurrected. So chapters 12 to 21 cover just that last week of Jesus' life and ministry here on the, on the earth. Uh, the Feast of Tabernacles was one of the three mandatory feasts that the Jewish people were required to attend if they lived in Israel. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 16 says, Three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses. That would be Jerusalem at the temple. And here are the three times. At the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, and at the Feast of Tabernacles. And they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. So this is one of the three mandatory feasts. Uh, Just to give you some background on the Feast of Tabernacles, it is celebrated in the fall in September or October. Uh, It's described for us in Leviticus 23, uh, Deuteronomy 16, and Numbers 29. Uh, And the Feast of Tabernacles commemorated God's faithfulness to the children of Israel when they were in the wilderness, in their wilderness wanderings, and how God provided for them uh, in the wilderness. The Feast of Tabernacles was celebrated after the fall harvest immediately after the fall harvest. And so it was also a celebration of God's continued provision for his people. So it wasn't just a celebration looking back at how God provided in the past for the children of Israel in the wilderness. They celebrated this feast right on the heels of their harvest time. And so they also celebrated how God continued to provide for them as his people. And and, and listen, Tabernacles, it was the biggest celebration of the year. Uh, it lasted for eight days, and it was an eight-day-long party in Jerusalem. Uh, people would travel from all over Israel. They'd make the pilgrimage to Jerusalem. The people would sing and dance in the streets and in the temple. The Levites would play music. So they have got live music around the clock for eight days, people singing, people dancing, 
people eating a ton of food. It is called the Feast of Tabernacles. It's not called the Fast of Tabernacles. People just harvested their crops. They've got a lot of food and they bring their food with them. And so it's, you know, it's like this week-long Thanksgiving celebration that lasts for eight days. Uh, it would last all night long uh, until the morning. They would, uh, they would stop celebrating at the time of the morning sacrifice. They'd go back. They would make these little booths, these little lean-to tents that they would stay in. Uh, and so it was like this big camping thing as well. Uh, and they, they, it would last throughout the night until uh, morning for eight days. Sounds very fun. Also sounds very exhausting, right? Eight days long of partying like that. I would need another eight days to recover from the Feast of Tabernacles after it's over. You're listening to Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton of Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City, Maryland. We'll return to the second half of today's message in a moment. But first, here's a word from Pastor Dan. It's my privilege to share the Word of God with you through our radio ministry, Ring of Truth. Thank you for tuning in each day. Hey, I would love to hear from you. Will you take a moment to email me to tell me how these daily studies have ministered to you? I want to hear your story. You can email me through our website at calvaryec.com. That's calvaryec.com. Thanks, Pastor Dan. Now let's join him again for the conclusion of today's edition of Ring of Truth. During the Feast of Tabernacles, there were two key ceremonies that the Jewish people observed at the temple that are important for our story. Two key ceremonies. Uh, The first ceremony was a water ceremony that was called the outpouring of the water. The outpouring of the water. The second ceremony was the lighting of a giant 75-foot-tall lampstand that they would light in the, t- in the temple. Um, and they're important to our story because Jesus used both of those ceremonies as a teachable moment to reveal himself to the people. Uh, in chapter 7, the context is the water ceremony. Chapter 8, that we're going to get to next week, Lord willing, the context is the, the lighting of the lampstand in chapter 8. So that's a little bit about the Feast of Tabernacles. And let's, let's dig in here. Uh, verse 1. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. So Jesus, at this point now, he stays in the north, in the Galilee. Uh, he doesn't travel down to Judea or Jerusalem. Uh, Because the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders in Jerusalem, they wanted to kill him. Uh, If you remember back in chapter 5, Jesus healed a paralyzed man at the pool of Bethesda in Jerusalem. And he healed him on the Sabbath day. And we're told in chapter 5 verse 16 that because Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath day, the religious leaders wanted to kill him. Uh, And so now at this point, he just stays up. In the Galilee. Now, now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brothers, note that, his brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea. They want to kill him in Judea. And his brothers are encouraging him to go to Judea. Can you imagine brothers? 
doing things like that to their brother. Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret, while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. And then verse 5 tells us, for even his brothers did not believe in him. Now, let me just say, first of all, that these are his brothers speaking to him, his half-brothers from Joseph and Mary. Now, there are those who teach the perpetual virginity of Mary, that Mary remained a virgin for her whole marriage and her whole life, and she never lost her virginity. She's a perpetual virgin. But we see her, Jesus' brothers mentioned here. Again, these are his half-brothers. Uh, Matthew chapter 13 and Mark chapter 3, the brothers of, of Jesus are mentioned by name and also his sisters. Uh, so Mary was not a perpetual uh, virgin. Joseph and Mary had, had children together after Jesus was born. But we see here that the brothers of Jesus, they challenged Jesus to go up to Jerusalem during the Feast of Tabernacles to reveal himself to the world at the Feast of Tabernacles, but we're told in verse 5 that his brothers did not believe in him. They didn't believe he was the Messiah. Uh, They didn't believe he was the Son of God. And so when they say this to him, they weren't sincere in what they're saying. They weren't sincere in encouraging him to go to Jerusalem. They're kind of mocking him here. They're ridiculing him and antagonizing him. And they say to him, hey, if you're really the Messiah, why are you hiding here in Galilee? You really are the Messiah. Why don't you go down to Jerusalem during the Feast of Tabernacles? Show everybody that you're the Messiah. I double dog dare you to go, little brother or big brother. Right? And you can imagine siblings talking like this, antagonizing like this. Now listen to this. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 21, it says that Jesus' family, not just his brothers, but his family thought that Jesus was out of his mind. His whole family at this point. They thought he had lost his mind with all of this, I've come down from heaven talk. And God is my father and my father in heaven sent me. They thought Jesus was crazy, out of his mind. In fact, in in that passage, his family goes to try to retrieve him and take him back home before he gets himself in trouble with all this crazy talk about being the Messiah. Now, his brothers will become believers after the resurrection. His brother James will become a leader in the church in Jerusalem. He'll write the book of James in the New Testament. James will die a martyr. He'll be put to death by the high priest in Jerusalem. He's pushed off the pinnacle of the temple and killed. His brother Jude uh, will write the book of Jude in the New Testament. Jude will also be martyred. He'll be crucified. Uh, for being a follower of Christ. But at this point, no one in Jesus' family is a believer. Jesus is the only only one. And he's in a a big family of non-believers. Now, how, how many of you here are the only believer in your family or one of a few believers in your family? Right. And that, you know, when you're the only believer in a family, you can feel very alone. You can feel very isolated. Uh, you maybe even feel misunderstood by your family. Uh, maybe you have family members who ridicule you for your faith 
or mock you or antagonize you for your faith in Jesus Christ. Listen, pour your heart out to Jesus in that because he understands what that's like. He lived in a family like that where no one believed and they ridiculed him for who he was and who he is. He knows what that feels like to be in a family of non-believers and to have your whole family think that you're nuts, that you're some religious fanatic. He knows what that's like. I would also say that's why it's important for you to have your church family, you know, and to have other believers uh, that can come alongside you. You know, when, when you're the only believer in your family, uh, I, you know, I was the first person saved in my family. Uh, in my family, we, I have a large family. Uh, there's eight kids. Uh, I'm the youngest. Um, and, you know, when I became a believer, some of the members of my family thought I had got involved in a cult or something. You know, we, most of my family didn't even go to church, you know. And so I, I, I know that feeling of being isolated and misunderstood um, and even attacked by your family for your faith. And that's why the, the church family, God's family, is so vital. It's such a lifeline when you're in that situation. Um, now, the reason that Jesus' brothers here challenge him to reveal himself as the Messiah at the Feast of Tabernacles is because, and this is important to the story, they're, they're telling him to go for the Feast of Tabernacles and reveal himself as Messiah. And the reason is because the Jewish people knew that the Feast of Tabernacles will have its ultimate fulfillment in the Messianic Kingdom. They knew that its ultimate fulfillment would be when the Messiah comes and establishes his kingdom on the earth. The Jewish people connected the Feast of Tabernacles with the Messianic Age, the Messianic Kingdom. And the reason they made that connection is because of Zechariah chapter 14. So let's turn back to Zechariah chapter 14. Here in chapter 14, uh, this describes when the Messiah comes when he returns for us. You know, the Jewish people believe he hasn't come yet. We understand that he's coming again because the Messiah is Jesus Christ. And so in chapter 14, we have the Messiah returning to the earth. And then after he returns, what does he do in chapter 14? He celebrates the Feast of Tabernacles. And so that's why they make this connection. In fact, even today in synagogues, During the Feast of Tabernacles, they read Zechariah 14 because they see that it's going to be fulfilled ultimately when the Messiah comes. So here in Zechariah chapter 14, we're just just to touch on a few verses here. In verse 1, we're told it's the day of the Lord. Zechariah 14 begins with a description of the battle of Armageddon and the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, If you look at verse 3, notice what it says. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations, and he will fight, and he fights in the day of battle. So this is the battle of Armageddon. Notice the word Lord, it's all capital letters. It's Jehovah, Yahweh. Yahweh will go forth. Jehovah God will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day, verse 4, his feet, his feet, so we're talking about Jehovah God here. His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. He asked me how I 
of 1 John invites followers of Jesus into a consistently growing relationship with our Heavenly Father. The Christian walk isn't meant to stagnate, no matter how long you've been pursuing your relationship. There's always more to discover about your Almighty Creator, and more ways in which He can refine your heart. As you've done already today by joining Pastor Dan for Ring of Truth, we encourage you to continue spending time in the Word regularly. We also urge you to make conversation with God a regular part of your routine as well, praying and listening to what your Heavenly Father wants to say to you. And know that here at Ring of Truth, we're also praying for you. We're so glad you joined us today, and we'd like to invite you to visit us here at Calvary Chapel. If you live in the Baltimore, Washington area, come worship with us this Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. Calvary Chapel is located in Columbia, Maryland, only minutes from Route 95, Route 29, or Route 100. For more information on what you can expect when you visit, go to calvaryec.com. Or give us a call. We can be reached at 410-491-4592. That's 410-491-4592. That's all for today. Join us next time for more right here on Ring of Truth. Rings true.